Let's have a, a time of prayer, then we'll read the word of the Lord and uh, try to pick up where I left off a couple of weeks. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, the Alpha and Omega. Father, all knowledge, all wisdom is encapsulated in you. And yet, Father, your love so massive. You've given us a great high priest who is tempted in every way and yet was without sin. He knows our heartaches. He knows our trials, our tribulations, our struggles. And He is there to intercede on our behalf. Father, You have given us richly according to to your riches of mercy, of grace, an inheritance that is only divine. And yet, Father, we now look at something that has been given to each and every one of your children that will only last forever. Father, may we bow. May we bow our wills our hearts, our consciences before your word, what you've given us, and let us drink deeply upon something that is out of this world. To you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. Amen. <clears throat> Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, love, it profits me Nothing. The Apostle Paul is still on a theme here, and he's still talking about the interdependence that exists in the, Christ, in the body of Christ, the church. We need to really understand that. I, 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 we have, many of us, if you've been in church any length of time, have heard chapter 13 or sections of 13 taught. And I will guarantee you that the bulk of the time you've heard it taught, it's been taught out of context. Because it is in the context of spiritual gifts, it is in the context of the interdependence that exists in this organism that is called the church. It is Christ. It is the manifestation of Christ in a day and an age that probably cries out more for it than any other time. And yet this letter is penned to a church. This letter is penned to a church that in chapter 1 was puffed up by their own wisdom. In chapter 2, this church believed that there were some in the church who were more enlightened than others. In chapter 3, it says that they even had the wrong foundation. They were looking at people instead of Christ. Chapter 4, we've seen they were arguing over the stewardships of the things that had been given to the whole body. Chapter 5, they were struggling with morality. Sometimes it's better to be single. Maybe I, now that I'm saved, I need, need to go get divorced because I can be more effective as a single person. In chapter 6, they were taking each other to court and suing. 
chapter 7, they were trying to figure out what is valid for marriage and what was valid for single and who was the more spiritual of the group. Chapter 8, they literally were worshiping demons. Anytime you go to an idol, you go to a demon. What happened? You know what's amazing about this book? There's no doctrinal error. He wrote the Colossians because they had a doctrinal error. He wrote the Galatians because they had some doctrinal problems. There's no doctrinal error in Corinth. These are not biblically stupid people. What happened? What happened? Freedom had mastered them? No. You've seen it in chapter 2. Their flesh had mastered them. Chapter 12 shows there are gifts given. The problem is, is that the gifts are useless if they're not interdependent. My gift is useless if I don't have you. Your gift is useless if you don't have us. It does nothing. It avails nothing. It profits nothing. In chapter 14, we will see how they work the proper use of spiritual gifts. This is how they function. This is how it's manifested. And stuck right between them is the power, the motive for what is the more excellent way given in verse 31. This is a fascinating text. This is an amazing text. And I I think that the problem is, in the last couple of weeks that I was here, um, I was laying out a frame in which to work. We define love. You know what? I could take this group here just this day and ask for your definition of love. And each of us, maybe most of us, would not hit what love is. What we're talking about in this chapter. Because he says here, if you can have all kinds of speech without love, you're just noisy. But you can have all the prophecy and the knowledge and the faith, and if it's without love, it is nothing. You can even give in charity and self-sacrifice, and if you do it without love, there's no profit. So I'm thinking that maybe there's something important here. What do you think? Maybe? Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured into every believer's heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. All right? So you know what that means, right? You're without excuse. <laughs> I mean, I know you'd like me to say it another way, but you're without excuse. If you don't have love, you maybe you're not saved. And you know what? I'm looking at it and I've, I've been around long enough to know that the world hasn't got the foggiest idea of what love is. Not only that, 2 Timothy tells me there's coming a time at the conclusion of the age that the church will become self centered, individual and the churches. Love. If we defined it, it is not romantic. It's not sexual. Okay? And I I hear Orthodox pastors teach that it is. 
Husbands, love your wives. You need to romance her. You need to give her flowers and candy and open the door for her. And, you know, once in a while make her breakfast. Is that what he says in Ephesians 5? No, he gave himself. Give yourself unto your wife as Christ did to the church. When did the Jesus buy the church chocolates? It's not emotional. It's not sentimental. It's not a brotherhood of tolerance. It's not charity. Because every one of those, the lost can do it. Every single one of those, the lost can do it. And in some cases, the lost may do it better. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he got emotional for her. That he just felt all fluffy for her. God so loved the world, he what? Gave his only begotten son. You know what I call that? An act of self-sacrifice. That's a little more than here. Here's a flower that's going to die. Okay, don't grab it too low. It's got thorns. There is no such thing as agape love without action, a selfless action. Okay, a selfless action means I expect nothing in return, period. I don't even expect you to respond to it. It's selfless. John 13, 1, it says that he loved his own and he loved them to the, King James says, the uttermost. It literally means to perfection. He loved them as far as love could go. He took love as, into its fullest expanse and said, hey, here it is. And then in verse 4 of that text, he says, he got up, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed their feet while they argued over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. He loved them to the uttermost. Because of his self-sacrifice, his love took action. He loved them. In John thirteen thirty four, he says, I give a new commandment. See, that's kind of depressing because that is at the end of washing their feet. Okay, I would like to do that. I don't like any of that text, actually. He says in 34, I give you a new commandment. As I have loved you, love one another. Love is an act of self-sacrifice. It's an act of self-giving. It is the washing of feet. It is the giving of your son. It's not natural in any shape or matter. It's just not natural. That's why in Romans 5, 5, it says it had to be poured into your heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at this. 
In John chapter 15, verse 9, how he loved them, it says. How did he love them? He left heaven. I hear people tell me that's too far to drive. He left heaven. Why? Because of his love for them. And he died for them. He's the only person who ever was absolutely innocent and was executed. In John 15.10, he says, it's not my will. It's my Father's. So you see the giving of the Son. You see the giving of self. You see the giving of your own will. Laying down your life. You know what? I guarantee you right now, in this room, if I just started naming names, will you die for Jesus? 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 Every one of you is going to say, yep, 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 yep. Will you live for Him? Will you take your will and cast it to the wind and say, not my will, but... Because it's easy to go die for somebody. The one that I want to think about, because we just really need to pay attention to this. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that fruit of the Spirit is singular. There's not like a bunch of berries. There is fruit of the Spirit, and the first one is what? Love. Out of Fruit of the Spirit comes joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, perseverance, all the rest of it. It all comes out of that, right? But it starts where? Love. There's one fruit of the Spirit. All right? And if I am walking in the Spirit, then that fruit will be manifest. How will it be manifest? It will be a a life that is sacrificial in its love for who? Your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. But they, you don't understand what they did. Did they crucify you? No. They talk bad about you? Poor thing. It is a sacrifice that says, I will lay my child on his altar should he desire it. And and I really believe that we miss this. I really do. You know why I believe that? There was an amazing church one time. It was founded by, it was literally founded by the Apostle Paul, and he used some of the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, the the disciples of John the Baptist were, uh, shall we call them, redneck? I mean, they were in John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. And John was cruising around in the life of a Nazarite vow, meaning you don't touch, man, it's, it's a trip. And he had his disciples, and Paul shared the Gospels and said, have you understood the new baptism? And they get the new baptism, and a church grew up there. Three years he labored there. Three years. An amazing church reaching the planet. Growing men and women in the grace of Jesus Christ in sound doctrine. And we're doing amazing things. And yet within 30 years, 
Jesus has John take a letter to him. And he says, you know what? You have sound doctrine. You don't put up with false teachers. You confront sin. You confront the demonic host. You do these things in my name. You are reaching the lost. You are flourishing. And yet, what had happened? I have this against you. What is it? You lost your first love. Now, I find that fascinating because the two churches that the Apostle Paul spent the most time in both had the same problem. Both had the same problem. Neither one of them had a doctrinal issue. Neither one of them. They had a love issue. Their love was conditional. Gospel of John chapter 21 verse 19. Paul, <clears throat> Peter had been on the shore and Jesus had restored Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter had broken down. And he understood. That's in, if you really understand that, Peter is the one that on, on the third cock crow, Jesus was being carried across the, 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 the plaza between Caiaphas and Annas' house. He's walking across it and he denied him the third time and it says Jesus made eye contact with him. Think about that for a second. How would you like to deny Jesus one time, the third time, and make eye contact with him? That would be a pleasant thought. Okay, so when Peter says, I'm going to go up and go fishing again, that's what I would have done. All right, it's pretty obvious I'm not going to make the ministry deal. And he says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter knew he knew his heart. He says, you know what? You know, I think you're the berries. Three times. And then even the third, the third time he asked me, he says, do, do you even think I'm the berries? Do you think that I am phileo, a brother? And he says, you know me, Lord. He says, know this, Peter. You follow me, and it's going to cost you your life. Guess what Peter did? He followed him. And it cost him his life. You understand that? But I've been saved by grace. Yeah, you've been bought and paid for with a price. You are no longer your own. But it did, you know, everything. I write in the front of my Bibles. You can always tell my Bibles. Every Bible that I have, I have it in here. And it says, no reserves, no retreat, no regret. Spend it all, all of it, pour it out like a drink offering. Save nothing back, withhold nothing back from the king and stand before him with no regrets. That's difficult. Try it. Try it tomorrow morning. When you get up and you're running a little late, Kids are cranky. Breakfast is not what you was expecting. You had your favorite bowl of cereal and there ain't no milk. 
a great spiritual test, isn't it? Makes you want to say little bad words. Just little bad words. I don't want to use the big bad words because it's just milk, right? Yeah, I just, I'm telling you, Jesus, where's the goat at when you need it? Right? All right, at my house, we have a phenomenon that is amazing to me. There's, the milk is in there, but it's got about that much in the bottom. I mean, you can't even, if you spilled it on the floor, you won't get your foot wet. And you sit there and go, what happened? Is there a leak? And then ask yourself this question. Has the love of God been poured into my heart? What is my motives? You know what? Have you ever thought about that? Here you are this Sunday morning. What is your motive to be here? Why'd you come? You ever thought about it? I mean, everybody's like, the preacher's what? (laughs) Do I minister because I do it out of a sacrifice of myself to the will of God? Or is there another reason? The sacrifice of my life to the needs of my brothers and my sisters? You know, there are people who think I do this is because I draw a paycheck. Hmm. You know what? There is only one legitimate reason. Only one. And that is agape love. If you don't do it for that reason, you have zero zip nada. When you stand before Him, you will have built with wood, hay, and stubble. And when fire came on it, what did you have left? And you will stand before Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and you will hold out a handful of ash and say, Here, I worked my tail off for this to give to you. That's exactly what he wants, isn't it? You know, I, I was moving into this and I looked at this and it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm just noisy. Okay, and I can tell you that glasgos is the word there. And it says it's glossary and you can see dialect in here and it's organization of languages. And I could deal with that. Absolutely, I could deal with that. All right, and you could look at it and say, if I could speak every language that man has, but what about the angelic language? Well, well, they are spirits of what? They are ministering spirits. You know what that's like? That's the language they see in Romans 8 between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. What does that sound like? Well, spirits don't have mouths, they don't have vocal cords. So what does it sound like? Oh, no. But if I can do that, whatever that is, and I don't have love, I'm noisy. And that's what I was going to lay on you today. I was going to say, I had this thing all laid out. This is what I want to do. And I can't. Go to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 26.
If we have speech and it has not love, regardless of the speech, regardless of the glossary, regardless of the dialect, regardless whether it's supernatural, whether it be an angelic language, if we have not love, we're noisy. And I showed you that love breaks out into first and foremost, it's self-sacrifice. Giving Now, please understand what sacrifice means. All right? You have a 1953 convertible Volkswagen that the top no longer exists on. And you have a, nine, a 2007 450 SL Mercedes. Someone in the fellowship needs a car. Which one would you give that would be sacrificial? The 53 Volkswagen. Everybody knows that's a collector. <laughs> Which one is a sacrifice? When it comes to the end of the month and you're thinking about giving to the church or giving to the bills or to the entertainment time or the food time or the things and like this, who gets shorted? Who gets shorted? When you weren't in late in the morning, just a little, and I don't have the time to do my little devotion thing, my prayer time or my Bible reading time, who gets shorted? And here's what I want to deal with today. Verses 36 through 46. We all know this story, but I'm curious, have we ever really thought about it in our own lives? Because I'm dealing with love. I'm dealing with love. Okay, and I showed you, love is self-sacrifice. Okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of sacrifice. Now listen, I'm talking about supernatural love. I'm not talking about emotions. I'm not talking about romance. I'm not talking about getting along with people. I'm not talking about charity. I'm talking that it is selfless. It is sacrificial. It will give of my child if I have to. And it definitely negates my will. Okay, now listen, everything I laid out here, whether I give the Mercedes or the Volkswagen, whether I cheat the time in the morning or cheat the time of the money or whatever else is going on, you know what the decision is there? You know what it's based on? Yours and my will. Okay? It ain't free. There's no such thing as free will. Okay? You cannot find it in the Bible. Sorry. Do you make decisions? Sure. But you will either do it based on the love that's been poured in your heart or on self-love. Okay? Both of them are cause and effect. There's no free will. Okay? Adam had free will. He sold it out. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Okay? I want you to read this. Follow along with this. Because I want you to think about this. Beginning of verse 36. We all know this. He's left the Temple Mount. The institution of the uh, the Lord's Table has been done. He's gone across the Kidron Valley. He's gone up into Gethsemane. All right? Jesus came to a place there called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And do you see what it says next? He began to what? Be 
grieved and distressed. Why? Anybody ever thought about why he was grieved and distressed? Have you ever read those words in the original language? Those there is break down, sweat coming off of your head, grieving. And we're talking losing control of your physical being in distress and in grief and in anguish. You know, I'll be honest with you. I have never prayed that way. I've never prayed that way. Here's what's fascinating about reading this here. Verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved. Okay, now now he's kind of giving you an emphasis here. To the point of what? Now you think about that something. What has overwhelmed you in your life enough that it felt like it was going to take your life? Have you ever been in that situation? Dude, I remember one time, a long time ago, my dad had had a heart attack. He had gone into the hospital. He had gotten out of intensive care. Look, the thing was looking good. And then all of a sudden we got a call late one night. We were staying with my aunt and uncle. And we were, we were, me and my brother were there. And, and, and they got a call. And, and, and it was you know it was about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And they said that this friend of the family was going to come down and pick us up. And we were going to go see our dad. <laughs> cool. It's going to be great. And so we're sitting there getting ready. And this friend of the family shows up to pick us up. And then me and my, Don's on me and my brother. Why are we visiting our dad about 10 o'clock at night? I thought visiting hours like daylight hours. All right. They take us up to the hospital. We cruise in there. He's back in intensive care. What's up with that? So we get to go in and see him. He said, they're dead. No response whatsoever. None whatsoever. So me and my brother, we cry a little bit. You know, it's dad. I mean, he's not talking to us. What's up? Well, you know, he's just going to have a tough night, and this is a crucial night. Okay. All right. So we go back home, and we start playing with our cousin. You know, hey, man, we're going to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning. Woo-hoo! We get a call the next morning, about 8 o'clock. Friend of the family's going to come and get you guys. Cool. They come and get us. Well, where are we going? You know, how did, he had a blood, blood clot thing. Did they find it or whatever? You know, I don't know. What do you do with the blood clot thing? We turned up our street, went up to the top of the hill, and I had a left into our driveway. And our whole driveway is lined with cars on both sides. Nobody had to tell me a thing. Me and my brother knew what had happened. And that is the closest thing that I can think of that literally caused me to want to stop. And it ain't this great. I want to show you something. 38. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little while beyond them. He fell on his face and he prayed saying, stop right there. This text is always taught of the power of prayer. That's in there. But that ain't what's in there. Look. My father. 
If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now let me ask you a question. Is he praying to know the will of God? What is he praying for? A different will. But his conclusion is, not mine, yours. And you know the basis for that? Love. Love for you and love for me. And what he was getting ready to endure for you and me was based on the foundation of love and it came to a crux. It came to a crescendo right there when he said, not my will, but yours. When you get up in the morning and you cop an attitude against Jesus Christ and the saints of Christ, guess what you just did? You said, not your will, mine. And you're a Corinthian. That's exactly what you are. Anytime you put your will before God's, guess what you just did? The cross ain't that big a deal to me. Jesus Christ. I thought about this. This blows my mind. How much energy... Grief and distress did Jesus expel when he made the Sea of Galilee go flat in the middle of that storm? No. When the demoniac that was living in Gadarenes was breaking chains, sleeping in tombs and doing weird stuff like that, approached Jesus and he says, out. And he says, but we're 10,000, get into the pigs. And the pigs all run down and jumped into the sea. How much energy did Jesus Christ expel? None. So against nature, zero. Against demons, zero. And when they opened up the roof of the house and lowered the dude down on the mat who couldn't walk because it was too crowded to carry him in. And he says, take up your mat and Walk. How much energy did Jesus Christ expend? Nothing. Cyrus' daughter raised her from the dead, from a distance. I mean, it's like, hold the thing up to the TV and lay your hand on it, and you'll be healed. How much energy did Jesus Christ expend? Nothing. One time. Do you see Jesus Christ in anguish, expelling energy, hurting, grieving, distressed? Both of these terms, if you go back to the original language, are dealing with physical, emotional, and spiritual turmoil. Awful to the point I can't, I can't understand. Only one time. One time. And yet... His love was so great. He said, not my will, yours be done.
Anybody here ever been afraid to share your faith with somebody, a stranger or maybe a co-worker? You know why? I do. It's not your will. But he doesn't ever ask you what your will is now, does he? Have you ever forsaken the assembly together? What? Have you ever just not had time for church? Why? I know. I'm busy. He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So, you men cannot keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying. You may not enter into temptation, because look what happens. Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. You ever tried to go out and love somebody unconditionally, self-sacrificing? I tell you what, every time I go try to do it, God brings the most nasty, mean people right in front of me and says, now love them. And I said, why don't I just send them on to you? (laughs) You love them. (laughs) I've tried it. You ever tried it? I went through a mess a few years ago. And right in the middle of the mess, God showed me, he says, Terry, I appreciate the way you care for my saints. You just knock them dead caring for him. He said, but you know what? I never asked you to care for him. I asked you to love them. That's a lot harder. Caring, you can do it with a nasty card. You can. Send him a card. Sign on there. Gosh, I love you and miss you. I'm lying. But it's okay. Only God knows. You ever thought about these things? Why? Because your flesh is weak. What was the problem in the church in Corinth? You're carnal. You are fleshly. You're doing it in your flesh. He went away the second time. He prayed saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, what? Again, he found them sleeping and their eyes were heavy. He left again, went away, and he prayed a third time. And he said the same thing one more. Then he came back to, came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us get going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Three times he said, Did I miss the meeting on plan two? Was there a plan B? God, did you come up with a plan B? Let me tell you something right now. He had every right right there to say, you know what? I don't want to do this. Let's condemn the whole thing. He had absolutely every right. Not only did he have every right, he could have been absolutely just. His righteousness would have prevailed and it all came to fruition. And he would have had the privilege of judging every single human being. 
But what stopped him? Love. It says there in 13, love covers a multitude. <laughs> Duh. To the point where I could be God incarnate in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, I want plan B. Let's can this one. And it still is loving. I don't know how that works. So I wanted to share that with you this day because here's what I got to ask you. Each and every one of you, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are. In your life, on a moment by moment basis, whose will is the most important? Because the love that we're looking at says God's will is the most important in every decision that I make. Even them little bitty decisions. We like to make big decisions to let God help us, don't we? You have a spot on your x-ray. God's will. <laughs> Where is it at? Help me with my spot. Please let that be a thumb, thumbprint. But when you get up in the morning, whose will will be involved? Don't get me wrong. God's going to be standing there. He will heal. Well, he'll outweigh you. But I'm going to ask Castle Rock Baptist Church right now. When it comes to the things of God, which is the most important, your will or His? Because that's the key. That's the key. I shared with you that we all, will you die for Christ right now? And we all say, yes. Yes, I will. And you've heard the joke, the other joke where the big church gathered up and the guys come in with the hood and the machine guns. Have you heard that one? And they come in and cock their guns, shoot a couple rounds in the ceiling and said, if you will deny Christ now, you can leave. About 90% of the congregation leaves. The guys take their hoods off and says, now we have the real saints, let's worship. <laughs> right? My question is this. How important is the will of God in your life? That's what I had to ask. It's easy to die for Him. But are you willing to live in such a way that it is not I, but Christ? The life I live, I live to the Son of God who died for me. And you know what? We've got different groups of ages here. And I've got to ask you that. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you've got the miles behind you or the miles in front of you. The key is going to be this simple question. The will of God. And you need to make that right. Every single one of you have to make that right. When I think of that Jesus Christ could do all that he did and never lose or distress or anguish over any of it. 
And when it came to the Garden of Gethsemane and the atoning for my sins and your sins, he struggled with one single topic. The will of the Father. Yes, prayer is involved in this text. But how many of us have truly can honestly say, I've gone before the throne of God in anguish and tear and in grief and in distress and says, your will, not mine. That's missing. That's tough. We all have our plans, our ideas. I want to be this when I grow up. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't want to grow up. I think it's overrated. Is that your passion? Is that your passion this day? The will of God in your life. If it isn't, the saints will see it. And if the saints can see it, so does the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you showed us. Thank you for the amazing things you give to us. And Father, I pray as we draw draw to you, that we understand that the love you've poured in our hearts gives us an overwhelming desire to show the love that you showed us. That we, when we were even yet sinners, you died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. Father, your love has been poured into our hearts. Father, our flesh is a mighty, mighty adversary. Help us, Lord. Help us to bow to your will with every breath that we take. That, Father, we would be overwhelmed by your love. Knowing that your love is only perfect and every good and perfect gift comes from you. Father, help us be people overwhelmed to walk in the spirit, to bear fruit. Father, help us. Help us to understand the privilege of being in the body of Christ, the interdependence of being in the body of Christ, the amazing abilities of spiritual gifts. And the motive of those gifts, the power of those gifts, the atmosphere of those gifts is the love that sent your son to die on our behalf. Father, help us. We beg you this day. Help us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Christ's name, amen.